You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Okay. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for uh, your mercy and your grace and your love for us. And thank you um, for providing for us so well in giving us your word and in giving us your spirit so that we might understand what you say in your word. And Lord, we just pray for that now, that you would pour out more of your spirit into um, our gathering here this morning and that you would help us to understand your word, that you would apply that to our hearts and our lives, um, that you would help us to not only see and understand, but also comprehend and put into action what it means to be a church family. So God, I pray that you would do those things for us this morning and that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and that you would cause them to be acceptable in your sight and that you would cause them to be useful for your people. God, I pray that you would do those things and we trust you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so our plan over the summer is uh, to devote six weeks of preaching uh, through a sermon series called The People of the Well. Uh, and what we want to do in this series is we want to anchor ourselves to two specific texts that have really kind of heavily influenced uh, the ethos of who we are. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend uh, the first three weeks in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And what we're going to do is we're going to examine uh, the work of God in and through uh, the early church. Uh, and then we'll then we'll take that break over uh, the month of July uh, for some guest speakers. Uh, and then as we come back in August, we'll resume this series of the final three weeks. And in those final three weeks, we'll uh, examine Jesus's interaction with the woman at the well in John chapter four. Uh, and so, uh, so that's kind of the broad overview of where we're headed in this series. Um, and to back up a little bit uh, and just kind of share this, like we began planting this church in August of 2012. Uh, it was during that time that my wife and I and our kids and uh, four other adults and a couple other kids began gathering on a weekly basis. And the reason that we began gathering is that we had sensed a call from the Lord to plant a gospel-centered church here in Hastings. And some people would ask, uh, doesn't Hastings already have enough churches and, and so on and so forth. And as we looked at the book of Acts and as we studied, we began to get this sense that in a community you could not have enough churches because there would always be lost people that need to come to know Jesus. And so we just felt this strong call to plant this church. So we began gathering with other people for the purpose of studying scripture together, uh, sharing life together, and uh, praying for each other and praying for our community. And those uh, early meetings in our living room and then in local parks and a few other places that we met uh, in those earlier years kind of became the launching pad or the, the launching point, if you will, for our mission and our vision of planting the well. Um, and so today what we're doing is we're planting a church that, that we hope and we pray will become a gospel-centered church family of uh, gospel communities that grow missionally engaged disciples who glorify God. Like those three words, right? Can you guys get it with me this week? Those three words. First one is... All right, there's three of you. That's good. You guys are awesome. We should try again so there's more than three of you this time. Those three words are? Gospel. 
And the second one is, and the third one is, yes, so those three words, gospel, family, mission, are basically the summarizing three words, values, focus points that, that, that we focus on as a church family. That is the mission and vision that, that we believe God has called us to. And that mission and vision, those three words, are rooted and inspired by what we see God doing in and through the life, the death, the resurrection, the ministry of Christ in the Gospels and then throughout the early church in the book of Acts. And so this week we're going to focus on two, uh, Acts 2, 42 uh, through 47. As we look at that, we're going to zero in and kind of hone in on verses 46 through 47. And we're to kind of ask this question like what does it look like to be a family of gospel communities uh, like last week we really focused on what does it look like to be a gospel-centered church family this week we're going to focus on the second half of that phrase what does it look like to be a family of gospel communities so look at Acts 2 42-47 Luke says this they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles and all who believed together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so last week, as we began studying this text, we learned that the people in the early church, like by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were devoted to the Word of God. This was their devotion. They were wholeheartedly committed and devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted, committed wholeheartedly to fellowship, to meals together, and to prayer. That These were the describing factors of the early church as they gathered. Their, their hearts and their minds were fixated on the awesomeness of God. It was not the awesomeness of how they gathered. It was not the awesomeness of the place they met. It was not the awesomeness of their music team or the awesomeness of their sound system or the smoke and the lights or any of those things. It was the awesomeness of God at work in their midst that had their attention. Their attention was drawn and riveted to God himself as being the only awesome thing worth their time. This is what describes the early church body, right? They, they fought for unity. They, they practiced being generous. They practiced giving themselves and their belongings away. They were devoted. They were awestruck, they were united, they were generous. These were the four pieces that we studied out last week as we looked at the first portion of this text. This is the kind of people that the Holy Spirit develops within the family of the church. And the question left for us is, are you that kind of person? And are you a part of that kind of people? Does, do these words describe you? Is your heart and your mind fixated on the awesomeness of God? Do you fight for unity or does disunity follow you wherever you go? Are you devoted to the word of God? Are you devoted to fellowship? Devoted to being together and sharing Christ together? Is this what you're committed to? Or have there been other things which have stolen your heart away from he who loved you so much that he went to the cross for you? 
But instead, you lavish your love in other places rather than upon Christ through your devotion within the family of God. These are the questions we wrestled with last week as we studied. This passage that we're studying is part of Luke's second book. It's called Acts. And all throughout the book of Acts, what Luke is doing is he's describing the acts of the Holy Spirit. He's describing the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and the early church as they gathered as a church family. In this passage, what Luke is doing is he is specifically describing the activity of the early church immediately following the day of Pentecost. Pretty radical, crazy day. Jesus walked with his disciples for like three years, dies on a cross. The tomb is empty. Uh, Fifty days later, roughly after the resurrection, um, day of Pentecost happens which is roughly 10 days after Jesus ascends into heaven. And as he ascends into heaven, he tells the disciples, go wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and fills you with power, dynamite power. It's actually the meaning of that word dunamis or dynamic. We often, like I've said many times, like to trade in the dynamite power of God for the firecracker power of things that we pursue in this life, whether that be relationships, belongings, money, Pursuits, whatever it may be in this life, in this world, we often trade the power of God for the power of firecracker instead. So what God does on the day of Pentecost is pours out His Spirit upon the early church, and it is like dynamite because 3,000 people get saved that day. It's massive revival in the city of Jerusalem. You imagine what it would have been like, right? 120 believers led by 12 apostles. There's a church of 120 people with 12 leaders. In one day, after one sermon, from a guy who denied Christ 50 days earlier, they explode into 3,000 people. What do you do then? That's the question. What do you do? How do you disciple all these 3,000 people? How do you baptize them? How do you discipline them? How do you correct them? How do you teach them? How do you train them? How do you empower them? How do you set them loose? How do you gather them? How do you organize them? A simple answer that floats up out of the overall theme of the book of Acts as you study it. If you were to go do a study of the entire book of Acts, the simple answer that floats up is that you and I would only do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is, no, there is no power that you or I would have apart from the Holy Spirit that we would do this in. That's the simple answer. You can drop that like a bomb and walk out the door every week, but then go, okay, so what does that look like? When the Holy Spirit moves upon a group of people who actually become part of a gospel-centered family, what does it look like? How do you do this? The crazy thing is that in America, because we are so individualized, there are a thousand different answers on what that could look like. Every church has got its own discipleship strategy or plan or way of organizing that church family. And it's good. It's good for us to have those things. If you look at again at verse 46 through 47, um, this is really where we're going to spend our time today in those two verses to help us understand why it is that we call ourselves 
a family of gospel communities. Why that part of our mission statement is so important and why we drive it every week. It's rooted right here in these two verses. 46 and 47, Luke says, day by day, important phrase to remember, day by day. Attending the temple together, another important phrase for us to remember. And breaking bread in their homes, another important phrase for us to remember. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, another important phrase for us to remember. Praising God and having favor with all the people, another important phrase for us to remember. Because what we see in these two verses is that the early church was a group of people who were a spirit-empowered family of gospel communities who gathered together consistently in large groups and small groups while praising God gladly and generously. Let's break this down a little. Number one, the, the people of the early church gathered consistently. What Luke tells us about these early believers is that they gathered day by day. This is consistent. These early believers, for them, the opportunity to gather together wasn't just another thing on their list of things that needed to get done that barely got their attention. This opportunity for these early believers to gather together is something that they took seriously. And they engaged it consistently, day by day. This is why we believe that the people of the well will become a family of gospel communities as we gather consistently. Number two, the people of the other church, they gathered in large group gatherings. Luke tells us that these early believers, they gathered in the temple day by day. These large group gatherings in the temple, these weren't just an option on their list of things to do for these early believers. These large group gatherings were part of their day-by-day -day lives. This was part of their consistent day-by-day -day weekly routine. The question could be asked of us, especially in the Western church today, how important do we place those day-by-day, -day, weekly, large group gatherings? For us, that lands on Sundays. I think these early believers, I think they were consistently committed to these large corporate gatherings. Scripture says it. And they were gathered and they were committed to that gathering in the temple day by day throughout the week. Because this commitment, I think, for them was vitally important for their growth. It was vitally important for their growth as disciples. And I think it was also vitally important, listen, for their witness to the rest of the city of Jerusalem. This is why we believe that the people of the well will become a family of gospel communities as we gather consistently in large group gatherings. That's our Sunday gathering for us. And number three, people of the early church gathered in small group gatherings. Luke tells us that these early believers gathered in their homes together. Like large group gatherings weren't enough for them. I wonder why. Well, you should ask yourself why the Sunday morning or temple gathering wasn't enough for the early church. And if it wasn't enough for these early believers who, by the way, most of them, at least in this context, were Jews primarily in this beginning. 
um, portion of Acts. They knew the scriptures better than most of us do because most of them, by the age of 10 to 13, had to have memorized quite a large portion of scripture. So why would they need to have anything other than the large group gathering. And if it was good enough for them to have more than just that, then you and I should be asking, by implication, what do you and I need then? We, we need to be in small gatherings with each other. For this early church family, being a part of a church family, it wasn't relegated down to the formal corporate gatherings on the Sabbath. These early believers practiced what they preached. They were a family that shared life together. They discovered what God was speaking to them through the teaching of God's word through the apostles. This is clear in the context. They prayed daily for each other's needs and for the needs of the community. And they, they participated in receiving the Lord's Supper together. And they ate meals together in small relational gatherings in their home. This is why we believe this. This is why this is a part of who we are. It's because this text describes that early church family looking this way. This isn't because one of our leaders or, or a couple of us thought, hey, maybe kind of cool if we did large group gatherings and small group gatherings. It wasn't that. It wasn't because we read some really cool book written by some great author who made it really well in church planting. It simply is because we look at this passage and this is what we see happening. This describes the early church and therefore we want that to be what describes us as a church family. So this is why we believe that the people of the well will become a family of gospel communities as we gather consistently in small groups. And then number four, people of the early church gathered gladly and generously. These two words are important for us to hear, especially in our American culture. In our culture of consumerism where you and I want everything the way we want it, it's important for us to understand that when the early church gathered, they gathered gladly and generously. Luke tells us that when they gathered, their hearts were full of gladness and generosity, right? This is what he says. These are the church communities. They didn't gather out of guilt or shame. It wasn't like, oh man, i got to go to church today. As though gathering with the family of God was just something they had to do. And it was too boring for them and they'd rather be doing something else. That wasn't the way they gathered. These early believers were full of gladness as they gathered in the temple to worship God, and as they gathered in their homes to break bread and share life together, what do you think the root of that gladness was? I don't think that it was so much that they just got to see all their friends, their newfound friends. I, that could be a part of it. I don't think it was because they were going to somebody else's really cool gathering space. I don't think that was it. I don't think it's because they thought they had the best rock and music team on the face of the planet. I don't think it's because they thought they had the coolest preacher on the face of the planet either. I don't think any of those things were the reason that these people gathered with gladness. They had experienced the grace and the mercy and the love of Christ in a radical way. Therefore, they were full of gladness as they gathered. They wanted to gather, and they wanted to give themselves away. They had generous hearts. They had experienced the, the generosity of God towards them. 
They had experienced this truth that before you and I follow Christ, we are His mortal enemies. We make war against God by the way that we live because it is our natural way of living because we are uh, encaptured by our sin. Because our hearts are imprisoned by that sin. There's no way we could get out of that prison without God's grace. And therefore, prior to meeting Christ, we are His enemies, vehement enemies. And when God comes and saves you and I, when God had come and saved these people, He did it in a way that they experienced His radical grace. They'd experienced His generosity towards them, just like some of you in this room have experienced God's generosity towards you as He's poured out the Spirit into your life and you have become a follower of Christ. You move from the, from the camp of enemy to the camp of son or daughter and you've experienced that generosity. Now, when you experience that generosity from God, what do you want to do? I'll ask it again. When you experience the generosity of the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, what do you want to do? Him. Give yourself away in praise to Him. You want to be generous, just like He has been towards you. This is how they had glad hearts and generous hearts, because they had experienced God's goodness. And then praise Him is in the text as well. You're right on track. So, uh, this is why we believe that the people of the well will become a family of gospel communities. As we gather gladly and generously to give ourselves away. Think about that statement. If you see the church as a place that is meant to serve you, you will live your life disappointed, ticked off, and ready to quit every day. But if you begin to see the family of God and the church gatherings, large group, small group, mentoring relationships, you begin to see it as an opportunity for you to give yourself away generously to others the way that God has given himself generously to you, though you didn't deserve it. Doesn't matter what anybody else says or does to hurt you, you'll continue to give yourself away. That's the way you'll live as a contributor rather than a consumer. That's what we want for us. And number five, people of the other church gathered to praise God. This is the natural outflow of people who have experienced God's generosity and goodness towards them. Number one, they have glad hearts. Number two, they have generous hearts. And what flows out of those glad and generous hearts is praise towards God. Who tells us these early believers, they weren't gathering for entertainment like consumers looking for the next experience to devour. But instead, these early believers gathered for the purpose of praising God. If you were walking down the street where some of these early church communities met, where they were gathered, you would unmistakably hear them teaching the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, sharing stories of God's work among them, praying for each other, praying for the community, 
And the reason that I can say this is because if you read the rest of the book of Acts, that's what you see them doing day by day throughout the book of Acts. That's the description that Luke gives us of what it looks like to be a Holy Spirit-empowered church family. You would hear them praising God gladly and joyfully as they gave themselves generously to God and to each other. This is why we believe that the people of the well will become a family of gospel communities as we gather for the purpose of praising God. So the question we've got to ask next is, how does this passage help us? If God has called us to plant a gospel-centered church family of gospel communities that grow missionally engaged, disciples who glorify God, that's our calling. It's our mission and vision statement. That's a massive undertaking. It's a big one. You know how many businesses get started every year to fail? How many churches get started every year to fail? Now, just a business that should honor God, of course, but has, um, uh, does not have the same weight to it, maybe, as a, as a church plant. Um, if most of your upstart entrepreneurial businesses last on average two years before they shut down, I think the statistic is in the realms of 75% of your upstart businesses. And you look at an upstart church like what we're doing here, similarly, but our, our calling is much heavier than just an upstart business that sells product. Because the product that we have is the gospel. And to save lives for all of eternity. So the weight that we have and the onslaught of warfare against us as we begin to follow God that way, it's massive. It's a massive undertaking. You need mature leaders. People who are growing in their faith and holiness that are actively resisting sin rather than giving into it every day. We need mature leaders who are ready and willing to say, hey, come follow me as I follow Jesus. We need leaders that can say that. We need sustainable income, right? Got to have sustainable income to fund ministry. Um, need to see disciples making disciples together. How will that happen? How will we make that happen? How will we put what we see here into action? The only way that all this will happen, as I said earlier, is only by the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit of the living God. It's the only way. All of the pragmatic things that we could possibly do, get the lights right, make the sound right, Get the preacher to preach less than 45 minutes every week. Send out birthday cards. Provide pastoral care and follow-up for those who are falling into sin. Hospital visits for those who are sick. All the pragmatic pieces of our ministry as a church family. All that is useless without the power of the Spirit of the living God at work among us. It's the only way that it will happen. Well, what does it look like? And how, and how can we position ourselves in a way that invites and allows the Holy Spirit to do His thing in and through us as the people of the well? What does that look like for us to engage that mission? And another question is, what barriers need to be busted through or busted down so that we can continue to grow? A couple of things that I think would be helpful to us. Number one, 
gather consistently in large and small group gatherings. It's a real no-brainer. It's a real low-hanging piece from the text that we just preached. Consistency in a consumer culture is like a huge hurdle for us to jump over. As consumers, and this is, I think, one of the most important pieces of what I might say to you this morning. As consumers, we are so enamored with shiny things and attractive things and new things. And when that something, that shiny, new, attractive thing loses its luster, we easily become bored and we begin looking elsewhere to other things to attract our attention and thereby what happens is we become inconsistent in doing the simple basic things of just gathering in large and small groups consistency is also hard in a consumer culture because our consumer culture shapes us to prioritize things at the top of the list that make us feel good okay so think about this for a minute face that fact like gathering consistently in large and small groups, um, they may have some really great benefits for us for a season. For a season. It's kind of like, like if you look at it this way, getting married to somebody carries some great benefits for a season. And at some point, the honeymoon factor wears off and you realize, crap, I just, I just I got to stay with this person the rest of my life. Anybody here think that? Yeah, I see all the women nodding their heads. Okay. We often approach marriage the same way we approach church, consumer. What's in it for me? And then when that newness wears off, what happens? Why do you think most marriages, so many marriages fall apart today? Because you don't have what I wanted. That's why I'm going to find somebody else. And we approach the church the same way. This is, this is the consumer mindset deep within each of us. Being in gospel community with other people can often be draining and difficult because what it requires is it requires us to move from the camp of consumer to the camp of contributor. It requires us to move from the place of, of saying, I, I want everything you can give me, to then say, you know what, I'm coming to give myself away to you. Becoming a contributor, when we've been conditioned daily. Listen, the gospel message that gets preached at you every day, when you watch your TV, flip through your Facebook, look at your Twitter feed, go to the grocery store, like the biggest gospel message, false gospel message that's getting preached at you and I every day is consumerism. It's what we are conditioned to do. It is inside of us so much that it controls us. And you know what you need the most, you and I both? You know what we need the most to combat that? It's simple. Give yourself away. Become a contributor rather than a consumer. That's what we see here. Think about it this way. Here's another way of putting it. A consumer's busy schedule. Think about it from a consumer's point of view. A busy schedule for a consumer is designed to serve him. Right? My schedule exists to serve me so I can get XYZ done, so I can get this and get that and accomplish this and get here and get there. That's a consumer's busy schedule. Now think about a contributor's busy schedule. A person who's a contributor, not a consumer, their busy schedule is designed to serve something or someone greater than himself. My schedule is now here to serve God or to serve that person, to serve my wife or my children or my friends. It's not about me 
getting served. It's about me serving others. It's about me contributing and giving myself away. You see the difference between the two? <coughs> so it could be said that a consumer's schedule breeds, what do you think? What do you think a consumer's schedule breeds deep down inside of them? What do you, what do you think the root idol is? Selfishness. Bingo. Selfishness. So, medium age in this room, we'll say 32. Okay? 32. Medium range. 32 years for all of us in this room spent walking as consumers, getting that hammered into our brains, hammered into our hearts, hammered into the activity of our lives, it becomes part of who you are. Selfishness becomes so deeply embedded in your life. With the contributor's schedule, what do you think the contributor's busy schedule would breed? Flip the, flip the switch. Move out of consumer. Think about contributor. If you're a contributor, what would your busy schedule breed deep down inside you? What would, it, what would replace that root of selfishness if you were to give yourself away as a contributor consistently to the cause of something greater than yourself and to the cause of somebody else that you count better than yourself, even if deep down inside there are times when you think that person sucks bad. Like that person is worse than I am. Oh God, let me repent, right? Help me to serve them as being greater than me because that's what you did for me when you sent your son to the cross. What would that breed deep down inside of you? Selflessness? Yeah, good answer. I'll take that. That's good. I think it would also create generous people coming out of this text. Selfless people become generous people. One more example. I'm going to try to move off of this. Get us out of here. One more example. A consumer relates to his friends based upon what they do for him or gives to him or makes him feel like. This is that marriage analogy from earlier. But a contributor then relates to his friends based upon what he can do for them or give to them or make them feel like. So anytime I walk away from somebody going, man, I just feel absolutely drained from being with that person. I need to start asking the Lord to fill me with his strength. Right? And help me to see that other person as better than me. And help me to see that other person as somebody that he has called me to serve. Right? But a contributor relates to his friends based upon that. What can I give to you? What can I do for you? How can I make you feel better? So it could be said that the consumer relates to others based upon selfishness or levels of comfort. And that consumer then is in control of what others actually know about him. But the contributor, on the other hand, is someone who relates to others based upon unselfish desire to give themselves away for the good of others. And though, as though being known by others, that's hard at times, right? But a contributor will want to be known completely by someone, is willing to be known by others rather than hiding themselves from others. A contributor will want to do this for the sake of the kingdom of God. So, if we uh, struggle with selfishness, fear of being known, fear of being uncomfortable, then like, what's the pill that we need to take to move past that barrier? Like, great. You call me Dr. Joe for a minute. Great, Dr. Joe. You just, like, you helped us figure out what these symptoms are and what the issue is. Thank you for the diagnosis. Out of here. I'm headed home, right? Uh, the diagnosis is good. What's the pill to help us get healthy? 
answer is Hebrews 10, 23-25. This is God's word again. Very clear to us. It's, it's, it's a command to us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast to the hope that you confess. For he who promises faithful. You don't hold fast to that hope because you're so strong or so cool or so good. You hold fast to it because he is faithful. That's what gives us the strength to hold on, right? Hold on because he's faithful. And furthermore, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting, hear that word, neglecting to meet together. Scriptures are clear. The command is don't neglect to meet together. Why? Why would we meet together? To stir one another up. Not to have somebody else stir me up, but for me to stir others up. And in the process, I would get stirred up as well to love and to good works. He says, don't neglect to meet together, he moves on, as is the habit of some. So the author of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, acknowledges that there are some in their midst in that day who have decided that it would be a better habit to neglect the gathering of God's people. And he says, don't do that. Don't neglect it. I think when God's word speaks, I think we should listen to it. But encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why do, we, why do we commit to this? Because the day is drawing near, he says. God will come back soon. You don't want to be caught not ready. The day is drawing near. Get together. This is why we believe that the people of the well will become a gospel-centered church family of gospel communities. They grow missionally engaged disciples who glorify God by gathering consistently in large and small groups. Number two, gather gladly and generously. We don't hear anything in the scriptures about people gathering consistently in large group or small group gatherings because they just felt like it was their responsibility to. They just had to do this because somebody told them they had to do this. They didn't just gather because they felt guilty. They gathered with glad hearts that were willing to give themselves away for the cause of Christ. They were glad because they'd experienced the love and the mercy and the grace of the gospel of the cross of Christ. And so they were motivated by this gladness to give themselves away as an investment into the family of God. And the Apostle Paul says as much in Colossians 3.16. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Also, 1 Corinthians 14.26, Paul says, When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a ton or interpretation. In other words, what the Apostle Paul says is that when we gather together, we gather because each of us has a gift to give away to others. We're not coming to steal from others or to take from others. We're getting together to give away to others. God has called us to contribute ourselves as gifts to other people, to the kingdom of the gospel. So we don't give ourselves away in consistent community because we feel guilty or shamed. We give ourselves away because we feel glad. We feel glad because we've experienced the generous gift of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we want to give ourselves away to one another with glad and generous hearts towards God. This is why we believe that the people of the well will become a gospel-centered church family of gospel communities that grow missionally engaged disciples who glorify God by gathering gladly and generously.
And then finally, number three, third helpful point I hope for us is that we ought to gather to praise God together. There can be many great reasons to get together. Churches all throughout the years have found many great reasons to gather, and some of them probably really bad reasons. Husker football, I feel like, is a pretty good reason. <laughs> Going to see a movie, sharing a meal, sharing drinks, doing some work. Like there, can be, there can be a long, endless list of great reasons to gather. And in many ways, I think we could argue that all those things that we gather to do can be acts of worship towards our Savior. I think there's truth in that. But as I examine the Scriptures, what I see here, plain and simple, is groups of people who gather together for the purpose of praising God in all that they think, say, and do. Paul again in Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through Him. This is a serious thing that we do when we meet and we gather. It's not a game. It's a serious thing. Why? Simply because everything that we do in word or deed reflects something about the God you claim to follow. Your unbelieving friends in your life, they hear the words that come out of your mouth. They hear the things that you're thinking. They see the activity of your life. Their eternal destiny is on the line as well. God is sovereign over the process of salvation, yet there is a calling that we must walk out. So whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. When we meet together in large or small group gatherings, the purpose of those gatherings is to praise the Lord for who He is and what He's done for us. This is why we believe that the people of the well will become a gospel-centered church family of gospel communities that grow missionally engaged disciples who glorify God by gathering to praise God together. So how do we, how do we organize? That's the big question we were asking all the way through as I wrap this up. How do we organize the church family so that we can continue to grow mature disciples of Christ? The simple answer, like I said earlier, that floats up out of the middle of this text. The overall theme of the book of Acts is that you and I can only do this in the dynamic and dynamite power of the Holy Spirit as He works in us. But then the next question is, what does that look like to do that? What does it look like to be a Spirit-empowered church family of gospel communities? And we believe that the people of the well will become that Spirit-empowered family of gospel communities by gathering consistently in large groups and small groups while praising God gladly and generously. And that's my prayer for the people of the well. That's my prayer for us as a church family. My prayer is that we would become that gospel-centered church family. And I pray that we would catch this vision of what it looks like to lean into this mission and vision. I pray that we would understand what it means to commit to consistently gathering together in small groups and large groups with glad and generous hearts. And that we would give ourselves away wholeheartedly, gladly, and generously to the praise of Jesus Christ and, and to the kingdom of God as he builds that among his people. The questions that we're left with is what step do you need to take to become part of that mission and vision? Is it an issue of consistency for you? Is it an issue of being glad and generous as a contributor for you rather than a consumer who is selfish and always full of discontent? What is that issue for you? 
Is it an issue of living a life that is centered on praising God for you? So whatever the issue is for you, my prayer is that the Lord would move on our hearts as a people. And that the Spirit of the living God would transform us and invite us into the mission and the vision of becoming the people of the well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together today and thank you for this portion in Scripture. And uh, God, I pray that you would um, bring um, the things that the things that would most honor you and glorify you home to um, the hearts of everyone who heard. And I pray, God, that you would use it by the power of your Spirit to transform and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close our time in the Scriptures today, we will close with communion. This is, for us, the point <clears throat> that we like to end on, simply because um, this is the application of the Gospel to our lives visibly together. It's a way of reminding one another that Christ's body and blood was broken and poured out on our behalves. And, uh, and this, this meal is for believers to engage in because we celebrate that meal together. If you're with us, you're not a believer, then we would ask that you not partake in it because we don't want you to do things that you don't believe. We're happy you're here with us. We're glad you're here. Um, we just do not want to push anybody into doing something that is just a mere religious formality or because everybody's watching, I better do that. We don't want that. Um, you could have become a believer in these moments as you heard this message. You might have trusted in Christ and seen your hopelessness without Him. And if that's the case, we invite you to come and receive communion for the first time. We also like to pray with people. And so if you have prayer needs, would like someone to pray for you, Dave or I would love to pray with you as you come. The way that we do communion is you come forward and, and uh, receive prayer from us if you would like it. Uh, and at least receive the bread. And then you can dip the bread in the bowl of juice over here and then go on back to your seats and we'll close this time uh, worshiping God together in one final song. So thanks for being with us, guys. Love you a bunch. Let's stand and worship and do communion. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.